0: Sequel Quest, Episode 82, A Jurassic Park Sequel.
1: Welcome to Sequel Quest, the podcast where Adam, Jeff, and Jeremy invite you on a cinematic adventure to create prequels, sequels, and reboots to your favorite movie franchises. Joined by special guests along the way, Sequel Quest is go for launch. So let the adventure begin now. Yeah, you you podcasters were so preoccupied with whether or not you could create a sequel to the original Jurassic Park trilogy, you didn't stop to think if you should. So, greetings, paleontologists, chaos theory diehards, and traitorous computer programmers alike. You have found the podcast that takes the cinematic DNA of your favorite movies and brings them back to life for another round. Yes, welcome to the Sequel Quest podcast. Joining me tonight is a team of experts we pulled together to keep our investors happy. Wearing his khaki shorts and about to be devoured by a pack of velociraptors, it's Jeremy Muldoon. Roar! (laughs) Jeff is uh, currently on the run from some hungry T-Rex, so we brought in a returning host who firmly believes that man creates dinosaur, dinosaur eats man, woman inherits the Earth. It's Jurassic Judy!
2: that
1: sounds about right and furrowing my brow with a cigarette dangling from my lip i'm adam reminding you to hold on to your butts because we have another returning guest to our show you might remember him from our spy special episode where he pitched an epic james bond adventure we managed to pull him out of the amber it's Forrest. hey guys glad to have you back judy thank you so much for joining us especially on this most auspicious day, the day of your birth. Happy birthday, Judy!
2: Oh, thank you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We got to celebrate big, you know, and we are going to get big. Huge. Jurassic even. Anyway, so this is the thing, right? When we talk about Jurassic Park, 1993 a basically kind of redefined blockbuster, I feel like, in the 90s. And the level of discussion to be had during this year, which is the 25th anniversary of that film, there's there's really no way we could cram all our thoughts into one episode. Uh, there are our entire podcasts dedicated to dissecting the film even minute by minute. So that being said, we'll share our experiences with this franchise and the time we have before we get to the pitches, and I think it's just going to be so much fun. But let's go around i want to just ask real quick when was the last time each of you watched any one of their jurassic park films jeremy
0: i recently reviewed all of them via netflix and i believe i may be the only one on the show today who has seen the latest one judy did you see it
2: we actually did see it like last weekend so uh-huh. yeah, so I just caught up on that one good news
1: forrest how about
2: you
3: yeah it's been a. Uh, I i think i saw the first one a month ago but i've seen them so religiously over the years it's pretty embedded
1: <laughs> yeah with jeremy's tip that they had jumped onto netflix i did watch the first one i've watched 85 percent of the lost world and i don't need to see <laughs> jurassic park 3 again because that's actually one of my favorites in the series and i've watched it a lot so for me i was just like ah That's good, but I have not seen Fallen Kingdom, so one of these days I'll get to it. But let's go back in time then. Let's talk about the first experience with Jurassic Park. I mean, this is a film based on a 1990 novel by Michael Crichton who has also brought us quite a few interesting novels and films, even over the years, Westworld and things of that nature. We, I think we went into Crichton. What was that episode? I feel like, oh, it was Congo. Yeah, Congo. If you want to go back and check out our take on a, a Congo 2, you can find out what we did with the, the universe he created. But when this movie came out, I mean, was there anything you needed to know more than, hey, dinosaurs, and Steven Spielberg. I think that about sold it to everybody. But Forrest, what can you tell us about your initial viewing of Jurassic Park?
3: Well, Jurassic Park, I think, is the first movie I ever saw in theaters. Whoa. If I can remember. And it blew me away. I hear people talk about how when they first saw Star Wars in theaters, like that was the big moment where the Star Destroyer flies over. And I think, for me, it was when that T-Rex foot first comes down. And you just hear the sound and the water rippling, and, like, that was just incredible.
1: Oh, wow. How could anything compare after that's your first movie experience? That's fantastic to hear. Wow, cool. Okay. Judy, what about you?
2: Yeah, I saw it when I was about, like, 10 years old, 9 or 10, and it was probably the first PG-13 movie I ever saw in the theater, and it was not the type of movie I would normally go to. I Like, my brother took me, and I was terrified the entire time because it was so scary to me. But, like, it basically changed my life, like, more than any other movie, I think, because I walked out of the theater, and all I kept saying to myself was, like, how did they do that? Like, I couldn't believe what I had seen. Like, I was scared the whole time, but I was still amazed, like, there were real dinosaurs on the screen and it blew me away and from there like basically i had to find out like how they did it so i watched the making of 20 times i had recorded it off tv and from there just always obsessed with how movies were made and filmmaking and that really like set me up for life for my life path so so it's a huge movie for me and also got me kind of like interested in dinosaurs to this day
1: well that's what i was gonna ask actually because generally speaking you feel like dinosaurs are the domain of young boys but at the same time i feel like girls have to have some interest in dinosaurs
2: yes (laughs) i didn't grow up playing with dinosaur toys really i don't remember that being like a thing i don't remember them even my brothers having them but like after the movie came out i definitely like I had I went and got like dinosaur books and was like reading about dinosaurs and more studying them because I was kind of older at that point. And I mean to this day I love them. And like when I got married, people were giving us like dinosaur shaped salt and pepper shakers. And <laughs> we didn't register for that stuff. They're just like, oh Judy likes dinosaurs. Here you go. So still kind of a thing. <laughs>
1: for sure. Wow. Jeremy, what about you? When did you pass through those giant wooden gates?
0: Um, this might be embarrassing, but about three weeks ago. What? No.
1: How is that possible?
0: Well, okay, so it's been in the zeitgeist forever, and it's just never been something that I personally was like, yeah, let's sit down and watch this. I vaguely remember having seen the original years ago, and only, like, parts of it do I remember. So I'm almost thinking it was kind of in the background and I wasn't actually watching it because the kind of scare factor in it just wasn't my my thing. It's there. It's (laughs) popular. I understand the concept. They make dinosaurs. Things go awry. They can't control them. Oh, no. And so I just kind of just didn't have any desire to watch them. And then I borrowed the fourth one, Jurassic World, from my cousin Watched it because I knew Fallen Kingdom was coming out. So those were my introduction in a way. And then once everything else was on Netflix, I just kind of watched them all. There's some hokey things, but the first one really holds up well. You can tell that they got a little more adventurous with the CGI in the second and third ones. Yeah, I, that's kind of where I'm at with the series. That
1: is fascinating. What a contrast we have on the panel uh, tonight. I would never have <laughs> expected that, honestly. Because for me, Jurassic Park was obviously a very epic movie experience. You know, For an 11-year-old, my older brother is very similar to Judy. He had, he had seen it actually the week before and then took me to see it that next weekend and in the opening moments of the film he timed it perfectly he grabbed me just as that guard gets pulled in by the raptor into the pen and i just made me jump out of my seat you know just like <laughs> oh. it was like 4D you know it's like the full experience i was immersed in Jurassic Park i was being attacked by a raptor in the theater wow. but then what was very interesting is that that was actually one of the first movies that i was able to go to on my own So I went back to see it again with my buddy John. I was like, just we got to see Jurassic Park again, you know? So we just walked to the local theater. So that was a big moment. And then what was very interesting was in July of that year. I actually moved to New Jersey from California for a few months. I got this opportunity to go to school and like live with my aunt and my cousins and everybody, which was really cool. And I only brought a few things with me, but they were all Jurassic Park themed. (laughs) So one was the original Jurassic Park book by Michael Crichton, because I hadn't read it yet, so I was gonna read it. And then a very large format behind the scenes making of book, and i would read that before i went to bed it actually gave me nightmares you know i was seeing behind the scenes i was just like oh, just like all the t-rex <laughs> and everything else and then the third thing was weird al yankovic's Alapalooza album <laughs> which has a parody of the jurassic park logo on the cover with al's head as a skeleton you know on the end instead of the t-rex skull and the title track of that was jurassic park so i was like all in all in for 1993 (laughs) and strangely and tell me if you guys remember these but the thing i didn't buy for some reason even though it's like my main deal were the kenner action figures did you guys so good oh
2: yeah
1: you you never saw those Judy? oh they were so fun like the t-rex for example all, all the dinosaurs had dino damage Where you could rip out a chunk of the skin and it would show like the the muscles of the bone beneath it? Like it was intense, these I remember
0: those. Yeah. I don't remember having him, though.
1: That's what I'm saying. Like, my buddy down the street had him, so I would go over and play at his house. But it was really weird, too, because, like, Nedry, for example, did not look like Wayne Knight. He was, like, a skinny body in a turtleneck with a a backpack that shot water. It was really weird. (laughs) Like, they, they, they didn't quite have the likenesses down for the characters. In fact, if I remember correctly, originally the Ellie Sattler figure did not look like Laura Dern at all. And then after the movie came out, they released a second version that looked more like her, like they re-sculpted things, which I always thought was pretty funny. There's... Let me ask about that then. For any of you guys, is there you know a merchandise or something that was Jurassic Park that has meant a lot to you outside of the films or even just a reference in TV and movies, just something that has always stood out to you? Be like, oh, Jurassic Park really stretched out beyond the theater's. Forrest, is there anything for you?
3: Yeah, I definitely was a fan of the Sega video games that came out based on the movies. And, you know, they just have, like, that that grittiness and the dark. And I actually, I'm a big fan of the game uh, Primal Rage, which I know is is not a (laughs) Jurassic Park property. But I just, like, would love uh, thinking about, like, kind of that shared universe of these different creatures from different periods, like, fighting each other and so it was just just totally cool to be down there in my cousin's basement playing jurassic park
1: (laughs) that is awesome yeah those those were very cool games in fact i think there's a like a a river rafting level on there that was like something that didn't make it to the movie but was in the book if i remember correctly and they had like compies running around the little dinosaurs you know that you had to beat up and stuff how about for you judy
2: um i don't remember anything like that and i'm feeling like maybe it was that we just weren't gonna go to the store and get any of these things i'm i don't know but because what i do remember is that i would and again this i feel like every time i come on this podcast it's like i'm talking about something that i was like way too nerdy into so everyone must think i'm really weird but
0: it's why um, we love having you yes great don't worry adam is much worse at that than you are
2: oh well that's true that's kind of um, why we
0: have this show.
2: Like, that is true. I probably can't outdo Adam in anything, but I remember I had this like legal pad and I would recreate scenes of the movie and just draw them out and I had like I started the first one was like the movie's logo and then the next page was like all the credits, like all like all the cast and everything. <laughs> And then I would just like redraw like oh here's the the Velociraptor looking through the kitchen door you know it's like a circle and there's like a dinosaur's face and it just went on and on so that's what I would do I would just sit and like redraw the movie for fun and I think that still exists somewhere in my mom's house so I gotta find that because I think it's, I still think that's pretty cool I want to look at it
1: that is that's like you were doing storyboards for the film after the fact
2: <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> Yeah. which
1: is pretty great uh jeremy we'll just assume you've bought every piece of Fallen kingdom merchandise since you saw it in theaters <laughs> you're very excited you're pumped we'll get your review in a minute
0: <laughs> negative
1: negative not, not quite the thing no. for me though and i have to ask this uh judy being such a fan as you are uh I, have you been to universal studios to ride jurassic
0: park the ride
2: No, and they're closing it. I
0: know, it's so sad. Technically, my Jurassic Park experience started with that ride
1: oh great (laughs) for me that is one of the actual theme park attractions that has i don't know how to explain it like it it disturbed me i'm actually scared of that ride but at the same time i love it you know it's like i've been to haunted houses i've been to all this stuff never did anything for me but that moment at the end of it as you're going up the ramp and the t-rex breaks out of the ceiling that is nerve-wracking to me you know (laughs) again i'm sad it's closing but Uh, The one area, maybe they'll keep it up, but I don't know. Right next to the ride, they have a food court that serves panda express and but it's it's modeled after the dining room in the movie where hammond is like sadly eating ice cream with ellie or you know when lex Ah. sees the raptor silhouette with the jello and all that like so it's really cool it's got like all the murals and stuff up so anyway yeah but i always loved it but i heard they were closing it i was just like that is a shame god the way of the dodo just like beetlejuice's graveyard review bring it back. Come on. One of these days.
2: Yeah. And I was going to say, Adam, like you're in good company with being afraid of the ride because I believe I remember hearing that Steven Spielberg himself was afraid of the ride. And he, when they opened it, he had them stop it before the big drop because he was like, no, I'm I'm not doing that. So he like (laughs) wrote it inaugural ride and then got off and was like, all right, see you folks. Yeah, it's
1: effective. What can you say? They know how to do it there.
0: Alright, so I do have the updated info here so all of our fans can understand. The Jurassic Park ride is closing September 3rd in order to make room for a Jurassic World ride. Uh, yeah. okay. all right. So it's more of a an update
1: okay so now let's let's get into the movie a little bit here because this first one again is so seminal in movie history i mean if you look at steven spielberg's history of filmmaking i mean this is one that's got to be in his top three i would say because just for the staying power and the influence of this movie because you could go back to something like you know close encounters was so big for its time or jaws or et you know things of that nature you know we've covered quite a few of his films on, on this show you know we've done war of the worlds we've done hook you know and judy's been on for that it's 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 one of those things though where this one feels like it's almost timeless would you guys agree it doesn't belong to any one decade
3: totally i actually show it to my students every like every now and then if we get a free period so we're talking about you know 16 year old boys and girls and you know for them seeing it for the first time they're just blown away by it it's really cool to experience that with them
1: yeah for sure i mean and i know it is in in some respects it's a mix it's got practical puppets it's got with the cg uh, but the actual you know computer graphics have shading to it that makes it look so real and that for me like the most magical moment of cinema that i've beheld is that sweeping shot of the dinosaurs at the watering hole right after Hammond says welcome to jurassic park just that that pan is so beautiful and everything looks so real because it's far away you know it's like yeah suspend your disbelief that much more and i love
0: that so i i also have to bring this up because your intro from the movie it just made me think of the gigantic sexy gold bloom statue that was put up (laughs) in london
1: oh
0: yes it's 25 foot long (laughs) and took 250 hours to make and it was all for like the 30th anniversary 25th 25th yeah 25th yeah so funny i mean this is we're in the jeff Goldblum
1: renaissance for sure right now (laughs) Uh, But speaking of which, we might as well get on this tangent real quick, is the, you know, if you go to the novel and the original conception of the Malcolm character, he is nowhere near as quirky or charismatic or heroic as Malcolm ended up being played by Jeff Goldblum. Because he actually is, you know, kind of presumed dead at the end of the movie, although, right. or at the end of the book, I mean, and and he, you know then he all of a sudden comes back in the Lost World when they made, when they wrote that book, but also <laughs> like,
0: he, yeah, I it's, didn't notice that, you didn't realize that, yeah, <laughs> I, I saw better. that he was supposed to have died a slow and painful death right. at the end of the first book, so. <laughs> but
2: yeah. the
1: other part is that. The other character in the movie, which I always think is very memorable, is, you know, the lawyer, Gennaro, Genero, however you <laughs> want to say it, you know, gets eaten off a toilet by a T-Rex, you know. But he, in the book, is not just this sniveling, whiny, wormy guy. He is a hero. Like, he comes back in and he's fighting off dinosaurs with Muldoon. He's saving the day. Like, mm. like, and so they, what I feel like is they, they basically took, you know, the Gennaro's role as kind of being more heroic and mixed it with Malcolm, and that's how we got, you know, sexy Jeff Goldblum, you know?
0: (laughs) Yeah. The
1: rock star, as Hammond says.
0: Right. Well, and and doesn't Hammond die at the end of the first book? He does. Ah, Uh, eaten eaten by by his own creations.
2: I always like that because, or not that Hammond dies, but just that Jeff Goldblum's portrayal of Malcolm was so enjoyable and memorable that when Crichton wrote the second book, he had to revive this character that he had definitely intended to be dead. And so The Lost World starts out like the book really feebly with like, everyone thought he was dead, but he wasn't. Anyway, let's just move on. Like Yeah,
1: well that's the thing too, right? Like the the original novel there's a lot of stuff they didn't include in the first film that they then brought in for the later sequels. So it's kind of like the first book is still considered like the greatest source of all the information in an adventure, and they just couldn't cram it all into a single film. So do you guys know what some of those scenes are that came around in The Lost World in Jurassic Park 3?
2: Okay, I know the compies, the little dinosaurs that eat Hammond in the book, They aren't even portrayed in the first movie, so then in the second movie they are pretty prominent as these tiny little things that will just eat you bit by bit. That's the main one I can remember.
3: The one that I can think of is in Jurassic Park 3 with the Spinosaurus. I think the river scene is sort of like the raft scene from the book.
1: Right. Yeah. When they're getting attacked. Yeah. And then, of course, for me, Jurassic Park 3, probably the reason I love it so much, redeems any weaknesses it might have, (laughs) is the pterodon scene. So you actually have these flying dinosaurs in the aviary that they run into. That's from the first book, too. And they did, it didn't even show up in the films until the third film. And I, that is just really intense. Another, That's another moment that actually scares me, when they come walking on the bridge towards them, and you're just like, ah! All the other ones are supposed to be scary. Those ones, for some reason, with wings, because you couldn't really outrun them, they would get you. <laughs> like, they scare me the most. But how did you feel when... You know, you're hearing, okay, there's going to be a Jurassic Park 2, The Lost World, what? Okay, they're bringing him back, Spielberg's back, everybody's back, it's going to be great. Then you find out not everybody's back,
0: just Jeff Goldblum is back. Then you see the movie. You realize why only Jeff Goldblum was back. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's it's rough. It's a rough watch, The Lost World. Um, speaking of what, what you were saying, Judy, about how Jeff Goldblum, he brought such life to the character of the first movie and then you get to the lost world and they suck everything out of that because now he's no longer the quirky side character now he has to play the hero he has to be like the straight-laced guy who's the voice of reason
0: and the father
1: yeah which was not in the book also that the character of kelly is just like an assistant she's just like involved in the Avenger, but she's not his daughter yeah it was just it was one of those things where i remember seeing it and just getting so sad as the movie progressed (laughs) and as they piled on more and more and more characters there are so many characters in that movie there's too much going on in the Lost World, and so little of it seems to involve what we really want to see. What about for you guys? Is there is there a moment you like and a moment that sticks out to you as kind of the worst in, in damaging the franchise?
3: I think definitely the scene where Kelly uses gymnastics to kill a velociraptor. <laughs> oh, my is,
2: uh... <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, I have to talk about that moment because... I honestly, I don't remember like thinking the movie was bad when I saw it. I was probably still kid eight, you know, I think I was still a kid. So I was just like, yay, more dinosaurs. But here's the thing. Okay, yes, that moment makes no sense and it's stupid, but I was a gymnast growing up and I too am black. And it was like the first time I'd seen a character like me in any movie. And I was like, oh my gosh, I could be her, like this is amazing. And it was just like, you know, one of those moments where representation matters and it's like, oh my gosh, I'm in the movie and I'm doing gymnastics, this is the best. So I can't hate that moment, even though it doesn't make sense because I'm like, this is amazing.
1: Jurassic Park 2, The Lost World, redeemed. This yeah. is amazing. Oh, that, that moment is so ridiculed. Finally, it meant something to somebody. <laughs> yes,
2: I'm, totally I am the it. audience for that moment. I might be the only one,
1: but yeah. And speaking of which, you know, the part that a lot of people would probably point to is kind of stupid, too is that the t-rex rampaging through a neighborhood in san diego and, and terrorizing japanese tourists and whatever but i actually think that is the best part of the movie at least like from an entertainment standpoint like at just that first moment when he busts out of the ship and that ship like when they're just like the ship is coming and it's not stopping and it just runs into the dock like all of that is really well staged and exciting so i think while it's somewhat ridiculous i feel like it's more engaging than what we got with everything else leading up to that moment with all the dinosaur poachers and father daughter drama and whatever else. Like it just, and what a waste of Vince Vaughn that movie is. (laughs) I feel so bad about Vince Vaughn basically playing serious in that movie. And you're just like, ah, Vince Vaughn, don't do that.
0: (laughs) Yes. And no, but I, I could see Vince Vaughn as a definite villain down the road for a superhero movie. So yeah, he can play it straight and it's when he plays it straight that he is very kind of scary, like That's very Brian Cranston-esque, where you come in expecting to laugh a little bit, and then he goes all Heisenberg on you, and you're like, oh, no.
1: And the, the other bit I'll just bring up is the logic of that film focusing on him and John Hammond trusting trusting this man who he said at the very first film, he literally said, I hate that man. <laughs> <laughs> and now he's his most trusted advisor and he wants him to go in and 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 vouch for this, this world that's being created so he can save his, have control of his company. Like, it just it doesn't make sense. <laughs> so we got that. And actually, I was super surprised that, as I'm sure it did fine box office-wise, but critically, and I think most people I talked to did not like The Lost World, and then they made Jurassic Park 3, and it was directed by the director of one of Judy's favorite films as well.
2: Joe Johnston.
1: There he was. So director of The Rocketeer <laughs> and many other very fun films, you know, Captain America, The First Avenger, all that. And so he had been involved for a while in you know, Spielberg's world, and he's like, hey, can I, I want to do a Jurassic Park sequel. And then finally a third one came around, and they're like, we don't have high hopes for this go ahead (laughs) take take it (laughs) won't you but i feel like jurassic park 3 is a return to form It, it just it really works for me i love the deception you know of the the parents their whole journey of needing to take you know grant there to save their child and i i just love the idea you know going there being fooled, and he's reluctantly back in Jurassic Park. Like that, there's just some great dynamics at play in the story itself. How did you guys feel about Jurassic Park three?
3: Oh man, I've got to disagree with you, Adam. With like everything you've said,
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> like I, I just found the the whole plot just so preposterous. And it sort of is the the problem with these Jurassic Park sequels is how do you get people back to the island who don't want to go back? And you know they have this whole, whole whole scam with William H Macy, and I don't know. I think you know the beginning really rubs me the wrong way, and then the ending too. The fact that uh, Alan Grant and Ellie like aren't together always really bothered me because it kind of takes away from the first film where he kind of comes to terms with you know the possibility of being a father and settling down and. I don't know. It just it's not a fan.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, can, I can buy that. I can see what you're saying. And I'll agree also that teenage survivalist kid fighting dinosaurs is also pretty ridiculous.
2: I think i got to agree with Forrest because I feel like the premise maybe makes more sense because they're accidentally on the island, or at least the kid is. So it makes a little more sense than the other movies where they're like, well, well I guess we'll go back to this place that only horrible things happen But I just remember feeling like it was even more of a retread than the second one, because at least in the second one, they have that whole King Kong scenario where the T-Rex is running around. So that's at least, like, different, even if it is, like, just silly. But it was fun. And I I didn't feel like the third movie was very fun at all. Like, it just was kind of, like, all peril, but even just kind of, like, in a lot of ways, the same stuff happening. So... Yeah, I think Sam Neill is great, but he's not necessarily, like, he doesn't bring the levity. So, it's just, yeah. That one, I, I think, is probably my least favorite
1: one. All right. Well, that's two against one. Jeremy,
0: <laughs> where do you fall on JP3? Oh, boy. Uh, it's not great. <laughs> uh, I really hated the Spinosaurus, or whatever they're going to call it. Just... That This dominant predator evolved in, what, four, six, maybe seven years of being on that island. And just uh, the villain of it was too, uh, how do you put it, too perfect. Like Mm. it was amphibious, so you couldn't get away on the water. It was Mm. also like the dominant predator on land. So like it really that was the main hang-up for me. Yes, there was a more valid reason for them to go back to the island in the third one.
1: I think also just the thing that I'll put in its defense as well is I like that it brought the cast size down again, so it is a very like small cast of characters you're dealing with, and they're on that journey, which is kind of even the first one had a lot of people evolved it's really well written everybody's you know gets their moment but i just i felt like i liked that little band of people trying to survive and trying to escape the other thing i will say that was super ridiculous is at the end when they're flying away from the island, and then there's the pterodons flying next to them, because <laughs> it's like, where are they headed? Like, what, what is happening next? You know, like that's uh, seems a little dangerous. It's this majestic moment. It's like, no, they're gonna go kill somebody.
0: Uh, I think this is a oh, good wow. idea. Yeah. On that note, there, Adam, let's uh let's jump towards the pitches because after the third movie, this leaves us with Isla Nublar where the original dinos still roam and also leading to Jurassic World 22 years later and Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. And now this second island where the second and third movies took place on Isla Sorna, even further out into the ocean with all these various dinos who are ever evolving in their efforts to adapt And, teased at the end by Dr. Grant, with the pterodons flying away, quote, looking for new nesting grounds. So, that's where we kick things off here. Adam, what do you have for us with your pitch?
1: Well, this is my film called Jurassic Park, Amber and Ashes. Taking place five years after the events of the original Jurassic Park, we see that Dr. Henry Wu is running out of money. And since the InGen disaster, his reputation has been tarnished in the scientific community, making legitimate work hard to come by. And Henry had been approached initially by Dodgson from InGen's competitor, Biosyn, to join their dinosaur project, but rejected the offer, hoping to make his name mean something again. Unfortunately, things did not work out. And there's another wrinkle. Henry is the financial support for his twin sister, Janet, who was stricken with a genetic disorder during their teenage years, which is what ultimately drove him to get his doctorate in genetics, looking to understand her condition and hopefully find a cure. But the payoff from the InGen project that was supposed to finance that noble pursuit after Jurassic Park went online never came. So desperate to save his sister, Wu calls Dodgson, but the number has been reassigned to a female scientist named Samantha Lerner, who now heads the project and invites him to China to check out their operation, which is on the verge of being shut down. Arriving at the Biosyn lab in China, Henry dives headfirst into the project, watching horrific videos of the degeneration of previous failures and sifting through the project files to find out exactly what went wrong with their dinosaur cloning. Dr. Wu discovers that project head, Dr. Michael Sims, was going unchecked, and instead of using frog DNA to complete the code, he was using that of humans, which led to these failures. It's revealed that Sims lost focus after the death of his only son to disease while they were setting up an off-site lab in South America. The project becomes an obsession to cover the pain of his loss, and it led to poor decisions that led then to the death of several in employees when his monsters became volatile. This resulted in Sims being reduced to a lab technician, now resenting Wu for coming in to take his place. So it's discovered that their stock of amber-encased mosquitoes are also damaged, and so Henry, Samantha, and Sims make their way to the Mano de Dios Amber Mine, where they are greeted by Rostagno, who used to run the operation for InGen, but agreed to work for Biosyn in order to escape extinction. Rostagno tells them that they have had another dino attack the night prior to the arrival, but Wu just kind of laughs it off, saying, well, haven't they not even gotten close to a successful cloning yet yeah, it must be an alligator of some sort but while extracting a promising mosquito in amber sample in the mines the walls are breached by an unknown force as woo and samantha fight their way to the surface only to find restogno firing a rifle at a large scaly creature that disappears into the trees restogno then asks still think it's just an alligator senor sims has also mysteriously disappeared in the ruckus so after testing a sample of the blood that's spattered on a rock, Wu finds that it's nearly identical to the failed monsters in the lab in China, where human DNA was used. Despite the understanding that something is not right, Wu just wants to get the amber mosquitoes back to Biosyn, create the necessary genetic cocktail, and get paid. Samantha, however, reveals that this creature could be a major liability for Biosyn, so she demands that Restagno gather men for hunt- a hunting party and that Wu must come along to help track it. So on the hunt through the jungle, most of the party is ripped apart by a massive dino-human hybrid creature! But Rostogno manages to concuss the beast with a grenade. Wu is fascinated and goes in to study the beast, but Samantha orders Rostogno to put a bullet in its head. But before he can, Rostogno is shot in the chest by a crazed sibs emerging from the jungle, who then checks the dino-human to make sure it's still alive. The crazed Sims then reveals it is, in fact, his son, who he tried to save from his genetic disorder through gene therapy with a breed of dinosaur believed to have had regenerative powers. Instead, it turned his son into this monstrosity. In fact, all of his bios test subjects were secretly human. He claims he was successful. His son is still alive in some way, but he just needs to run more tests. Just then, another dino-human attacks Moo and Samantha, who barely survived by awkwardly using Ristogno's weapons against the creature, while Sims disappears with his son. They manage to trick the dino-man into jumping off a cliff, then track Sims to his secret lab. There, they are unsuccessful in trying to convince Sims that he uh, has done something terrible and instead he uh, goes ahead and creates a whole army of dino people that he ejects and they come after him. there's a big battle you gotta have more dino people just amp it up amp it up and uh, finally they are able to kind of take the, the the dino son hostage who's still out of it and they say oh, we'll take him back we'll, we'll help you restore him but you have to put an end to all this no no never you know and he's like this world is not ready for my genius all these things so anyway then he blows up the lab. They barely make it out. So Wu, at that point, you know, is brought back uh, to the lab. They're like, hey, you want to you want to keep working on this project? And Burns, the business card that Dodgson gave him, walks out. And the final scene is him giving someone a call. And who is it? But it's the man who ends up owning the Jurassic World situation. Anyway, so he goes on to work in Jurassic World and developing that. But there you have it. Jurassic Park, Amber and Ashes. All
0: right. All right. Terrifying. Judy, what do you have for us?
2: Okay. So you could call it maybe Jurassic Farm, I guess. (laughs) Uh, So mine kind of starts in the past a bit. And so we kind of see Dodson again. And he's realizing that Nedry didn't get on the boat you know the storm is still going on and they start getting reports that something has gone wrong on the island and so he sends he decides to send a team to go and try and retrieve the shaving cream can and so they go to the island and this is kind of in the period right after you know our heroes from the first movie have left this other team gets dropped in from the Biosyn corporation or whatever and they find remains of Nedry, so they're able to look around and dig and find the um, other embryos that he hid in the shaving cream. So, So they take that, and they go off to some remote lab like in some countryside, I don't know where, like maybe like Canada, like remote Canada or something. And so they're doing their own experiments on dinosaurs, and they're kind of just like haphazard about it. They're not really interested in having a park or helping anybody. They're just playing around with jeans and stuff like that. But somehow word gets out that they're doing something over there and everyone is all paranoid about the dinosaurs because of what happened on the island in the first place. So they realize they've been discovered. So they start destroying all their work and kind of killing the animals and destroying the eggs and everything they have. But somehow someone had their kid at work there. I don't know. Whatever. So there's a kid there because there's always kids in these movies. So the kid is like, what's going on? And no one's watching him. So he takes two of the eggs at random and just kind of hides them in his backpack and goes home to the farm where he is very poorly supervised because he's able to keep the eggs warm. And lo and behold, they hatch and he has a baby velociraptor. And then baby Protoceratops, which was not actually featured in the movies, as I recall, but it's one of my favorite dinosaurs. And they're like small. They're 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 similar to a Triceratops, but they're very small. Like they literally could be like a house pet. And they only have one horn on their nose, so they're very adorable. And side note, also, there's a famous skeleton that was found of a Protoceratops and a. Uh, tri- uh, uh, a velociraptor like wrapped in some sort of fight they believe and that's how they died and their bones were preserved that way so a little nod to that anyway so then from here basically it's like a ripoff of E.T. because you know he's raising the creatures and they're learning from him and he's you know they're imprinted on him and so they become very tame But they're still wild animals, and so he has to hide them from his parents and keep finding ways to get all this, like, raw meat to them. I guess the protoceratops would be vegetarian, but whatever. So, and again, as they go on, the Velociraptor becomes harder and harder to control and starts fighting more and more with the protoceratops. So he gets a buddy of his, and they figure out, like, well, we got to get someone to come take this dinosaur because, like, If my parent finds out, like, I guess his mom was, like, working at the lab or something, whatever. So if she finds out, she'll kill it because they were killing all the dinosaurs. And obviously, no one would think it's safe to have a dinosaur. So somehow they, like, use the Internet and they contact Alan Grant. And they're like, look, we have these live dinosaurs. Can you come and take them and take care of them? And they don't really know if he's going to do it or if he got the message. But... Right around this time, like, it's discovered they have the animals, so then they go on the run, you know, whatever. Um, Very exciting. And so basically, right as, like, the evil scientists from Biosyn are closing in on them to destroy their creations so they're not found out as doing these illegal experiments, the Velociraptor actually attacks them and saves the Protoceratops and the boy who are able to escape and then the Velociraptor dies in the process, like, saving the boy. And then he's able to rendezvous with Alan Grant, who did show up. And he rescues and takes away the Protoceratops, who then is, I guess, at this point, like, I don't know. I can't remember. Like a, It's like a tame dinosaur, so it goes to live in a zoo or something. And everyone is totally happy with that. The
1: end. <laughs> Jurassic Farm. <laughs> right. <laughs> Very Spielbergian, for sure. <laughs> well, we I go. did
2: rip off his other movies, so yeah.
1: <laughs> All right, Forrest. Okay,
3: let's do it. So mine is a, a sequel to Jurassic Park 3. It's called Jurassic Park 4 Survival, and it's going to use the same tagline as the first one uh, Something Has Survived. And so we, we start off our first scene with uh, classic Jurassic Park music. We hear the wah, and uh, it opens up to the jungle where there's some rustling and leaves. Then all of a sudden, a lion jumps out from the bushes, and Michael Muldoon, the brother of Robert Muldoon, fires his rifle and kills the lion midair. Next, we see the lion being paraded about in the African uh, savannah, and villagers are are praising the the death of this lion and so as michael is is getting his gear together a helicopter comes down blowing dust everywhere then out from the helicopter comes a prosthetic armed mr arnold and he (laughs) says i'm here to talk to you about the engine initiative oh my god So it goes to a uh, so Michael joins and they they go to a, a briefing at uh, Engine Headquarters. and there's an engine executive there played by uh, Bob Odenkirk from Better Call Saul. And there's also a uh, paleontologist played by uh, Chris O'Dowd from the IT crowd. And so I'll, I'll just kind of refer to them by their their actor names, so we'll keep everybody together. So Bob the suit explains how InGen is a world leader in genetics and cancer research and they can't afford another lawsuit or bad publicity. So they've got to go back to the park and fix their mistakes. And Mr. Arnold chimes in and explains that there is an apex predator that is too dangerous to exist on this planet. Chris the paleontologist asks for more information and then Mr. Arnold quickly replies, that the paleontologist was their second choice after Dr. Alan Grant and Samuel L. Jackson says, the only reason you are here is to tell me if a giant lizard eats people or plants. And then Muldoon asks, wait, how am I supposed to hunt something if I don't even know what it is? Arnold replies, I wouldn't worry about that right now, Mr. Muldoon, in all likelihood, when we land on this island, this thing will be hunting you. So next we we see a overhead shot of Isla Nublar and our Our heroes arrive by boat, and they're greeted on the beach by a Costa Rican guide, played by uh, Rosario Dawson, who says, Welcome to Jurassic Park. They approach the beach, and they find a dead Demetrodon, one of those uh, dinosaurs with the big sails, and it's laying there all shredded up. And the paleontologist freaks out with excitement, because he's never seen a dinosaur before, and he's just so happy, even though the thing's rotting, and there's flies, and it's just an awful mess. And... They ask, uh, well, what killed this? And Muldoon replies after studying the wounds that those are from an alligator and that the species are fighting for survival. And so they they are going to meet a convoy after a short walk. And so they meet up with a crew of sort of like these like Blackwater individuals who are going to escort them to their location. And so while they're they're gearing up, they, they have some Humvees they're about to get into. And they begin their quest, start driving around where all of a sudden they have to stop because a herd of Triceratops are in their path. Mr. Arnold and uh, the rest of the crew get out of the vehicle, and Mr. Arnold asks the paleontologist, plants or people? paleontologist says, plants. And then Mr. Arnold says, good, that's what you're here for. But then one of the Blackwater guys kicks over a Barbasol can, which freaks out the Triceratops, causing a major stampede, Where they run over the vehicles and all mayhem ensues and so muldoon gives the order to run and they start running through the jungle when all of a sudden we hear the ground stomping and shaking a t-rex has caught wind of the herd of triceratops and joins the pursuit the triceratops and the t-rex quickly size up one another and mr arnold asks what what are we going to do next chris O'Dowd chimes in oh don't worry the, the Triceratops has an evolutionary advantage. Those horns, they're designed to kill the T-Rex. We are totally safe. Then the T-Rex swings its g- giant tail, knocking the Triceratops over, and quickly rips out its guts. And everyone's mouths are gaping open, and they quickly run away with their tails between their legs. Eventually, they find a cave as, as darkness um, falls upon them. Mr. Arnold and everybody... Uh, start to make camp Mr. Arnold lights up a cigarette and he asks the crew do they have any regrets is there anything that they wish they can go back in time and change something that they did here we have a chance to put a bullet right between its eyes and as he says eyes um, a pair of yellow eyes appear right behind Mr. Arnold and they start moving along the wall they shine the light and they see it is a titanoboa the gigantic prehistoric snake that puts the anaconda to shame and as the anaconda starts moving around them they run out of the cave and it crushes most of the blackwater guys just tearing them apart it's crazy they're firing off shots but the thing is just way way too quick and then they start running again towards an electric fence where it says warning velociraptors so they decide to hell with it they go through a whole bunch of you know classic Velociraptor stuff happens Mm -hmm. and then they get cornered by the snake no way out and then boom 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 the T-Rex shows up the T-Rex and the Titanoboa go at it the Titanoboa wraps itself around the T-Rex well Dune says fire at the boa fire at the boa boa releases its grip and then it faces um, our heroes but then the T-Rex stomps its foot on the tail of the boa sinks its teeth into the neck and then just rips the thing right in half just just rips it apart in front of everybody and so they are safe from the titanoboa as a t-rex enjoys its meal they continue on their mission arriving at the secret facility and so uh mr arnold explains that this is it this is what we came here for Muldoon, are you ready michael agrees he says whatever's in there i will kill it without hesitation so they walk down into uh, an undiscovered place in the park that was reserved only for VIP guests. They go into a bunker, where they see uh, all different types of fossils. And then there is something that takes everybody's breath away. Well, Dune exclaims, exclaims, my God, they wouldn't, would they? In glass, they see a caveman on ice. And as their attention is is on this incredible exhibit, a velociraptor grabs Mr. Arnold, pulls him away. Mr. Arnold fires a few shots before get, getting ripped apart and yelling, not again.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> and so um, I, I do have a, uh, a third scene here, but basically there is a, a, a troglodyte loose that they must hunt down. And also, Adam... I would like to suggest too a possible crossover between uh, Jurassic Park and Congo. Could
2: yeah, <laughs>
1: let's so... just scrap all our pitches. We'll, we'll make it that. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so that is Jurassic Park 4 survival.
1: Wow. Well, those are very different pitches all around. I mean, sometimes we circle similar themes, but I feel like we did not this time out. That was no, some pretty no, wild we stuff. We got we got the family film. We got the crazy spin-off, We got the getting down and dirty back on the island in the action, you know? So, wow, where are we going to take this? <laughs> oh,
0: man. All right, let's head to the vote here. Judy, where does your vote fall?
2: Oh, man. I think I got to go with Forrest because I I did, at one point, I was like, how do I bring back Samuel Jackson? Like, that'd be awesome. So, and yeah, all the casting was really good. And I think, uh, yeah, I think finding the caveman is a pretty cool twist. So, yeah, let's go with that one.
0: All right, Forrest.
3: Well, Judy, I, I really loved yours. Like, From start to finish, I think that's like, you know, after seeing Jurassic Park, I think that is like the exact kind of movie that I would have wanted to see, you know, just starting off with, you know, the MacGuffin of the hunt for the Barbasol can. And, you know, when you were describing, you know, Jurassic uh, Park Farm, it reminded me a lot of uh, this other movie called uh, Prehysteria, which uh, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but basically a kid like raises uh, these little dinosaurs from eggs and it's just such like a you know, like that's the dream, right? Right. So I I, I would just love to see that on film. That would be awesome.
0: All right.
1: <laughs> Adam? This is rough, you know, we got we got one vote apiece here. And uh as I'm as I'm going back and forth between the two, I'm trying to say, okay, do I want something that covers like completely new ground almost, or do I want something that really does kinda continue you know the story with like with forest which is kind of like okay they're gonna go back and what are they doing um and i think i i'm gonna vote for Forrest only because i feel like there's some loose ends there that i want to get some answers to and i and i feel like there's some some questions i have that that we could flesh out and really create a very interesting film so I, I would like to see where we go
0: with survival. Now you were saying for us that Samuel L. Jackson's character survived?
3: He survived the first movie, yes.
0: He had a prosthetic
2: arm. Yeah, we only saw his arm.
0: Yeah. So Right. <laughs> as soon as I typed in did Sam, it auto filled on Google. Did <laughs> Sam Jackson die in Jurassic Park? and he was supposed to go film his death scene but a hurricane destroyed all the sets and they weren't able to shoot it so it does leave it up to the imagination i guess so yeah we can we can go that route
2: is his arm in this the winter soldier arm cuz that's what i just put on automatically
1: dude totally yeah okay cool <laughs> full on metal arm you know. yeah yeah that's good well so yeah so that was that was my first question actually was so mr arnold ray arnold here what was his purpose that was the part i didn't 100 percent understand he was just he was tasked by ingen to take them in to where that secret lab was so they could retrieve the caveman was that the his real mission
3: my kind of idea was that, you know, Mr. Arnold was head of security, so my idea was that, you know, he he had knowledge to a lot of the, the dark secrets of the park. And so, you know, after leaving the park, you know, knowing that, you know, this creature exists, you know, really just, you know, tore him up inside, you know, and he wouldn't be able to live like knowing that that's still out there without you know going back and I think as he says like putting a bullet right between its eyes.
1: And so that was, that's his plan is he, so he's tried to just put it out of its misery. Totally. But yeah. you said that, that it survived. It, it gets out during like whatever's happening when they get to the lab. Is that right? So it actually does get, he wakes up this creature and gets free or.
3: Yeah. Okay. And, um, and yeah, there's a, there's a fight scene between, uh, I, I call it the trog for short and uh, Muldoon. And it's sort of like, you know, the Trog wrestles the gun away from Muldoon and eventually, like, picks up a knife and knows how to use it. Mm-hmm. So it's, like, just really intense scene. And then, basically, uh, at the end, Muldoon creates a torch using Mr. Arnold's lighter. And it sort of, like, sets the thing on fire. So it, it kind of goes back to about, you know, what what sets man apart is, uh, you know, the, the creation of, of use of fire. And they, they they destroy the Trog at the end. But... Once they leave the island, there's a plesiosaur that swims underneath the boat. So, you know, sequels ahoy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so but so this is my question then. So the trog is the main bad guy then? So there's dinosaur stuff happening. But essentially the big concern is over this trog? Is, yes. is that what, what you would say? Okay.
3: That's the apex predator that uh, Mr. Arnold is, is
2: ah. Yeah. So we we want him to die or it, cause I'm picturing like Encino Man, and it's that, sad to me. <laughs>
3: oh. <laughs> no, I was thinking of just like, you know, this just terrifying, you know, almost like gorilla, eight teeth, like you know, definitely more more monster than man for sure. Okay.
1: Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. I feel like yeah, we definitely have to have like some establishing scene or Arnold explains that this thing, like, killed, like, dozens of people, you know, when it first awoke. Yeah. And they had to, like, put it on ice or whatever. So it's, like, very clear that, okay, this isn't, like, a human with feelings. This is a cloned monster (laughs) that was created in a lab. Yeah. Because otherwise people are going to be sad, like, oh, Fred Flintstone, he's just having a bad day. Totally. So, okay, so that that's pretty cool. And I like that idea that it, it has, like, again, like, just these super survival fighting instincts so it can take out this crew. But I was also thinking for Muldoon's character, it should be something like, because, you know, his brother obviously got killed by raptors that he's, like, just got a whole chip on his shoulder about killing anything that InGen created. And they must, like, always have to be, like, pulling him back or something from, like, <laughs> killing all the dinosaurs and stuff. Like, he's just, he's ready to go. I love it. And I, yeah, I just feel like that would be a nice little character arc. And that's, I was trying to think of something at the end where maybe he sees the briefest touch of humanity in this creature and it causes him to hesitate. Yeah. You know maybe he gets injured a little bit, but mm-hmm. then he realizes like how vicious it is or something by the end. Uh, cause, yeah, because like I can say like those are, those are some, some things now uh, to Judy's point, is there any way we could work a kid into this? Uh... <laughs> There's always kid. <laughs> little trog.
3: <laughs> well, in a, in a very early version of this, I was thinking of uh, having Timmy be the paleontologist who comes back to the island.
1: Aww. I was actually thinking, I had a huge crush on Ariana Richards back in the day, and I can't believe I didn't uh, somehow work her into my pitch. I'm very disappointed in myself. The other part I was wondering about was the idea with Rosario Dawson being the guide what is her story about being familiar with the Island? Why is she the one they trust? There's gotta be something going on there. Cause I love the casting. She's awesome in everything. So, but what would, what would her story be? Why is she the go-to person? Do you think?
3: So like there's a, there's a couple things that I, I kind of glossed over for time, but there was a scene like when they're going through the jungle and one of the guys is about to uh, brush up, um, next to a plant and she kind of warns them that this plant isn't native and that it's toxic which um is kind of a throwback to the first film where uh, dr sadler is talking about how they just grew these you know plants from back in the day that ended up being poisonous and then there was going to probably be some kick-ass scenes with her you know gunning down velociraptors and things like that too that's
1: awesome Okay, and maybe, and again, getting back to... Because would you say, in general, I mean, it, it sounds like it's sort of a, an ensemble piece, but would you say Muldoon is the main character, pretty much? Is, is it his movie?
3: Yeah it's, yeah, it's definitely, like, his point of view, seeing the island for himself the first time. I
2: don't remember if you had cast him.
3: Oh, no, I had not. Um, I was actually thinking of uh, Patrick Wilson, from the Conjuring and the Insidious oh, films, okay, yeah, it's kind of like that Muldoon look a little bit.
2: Yeah, he's not Australian. True, <laughs> but
1: he's a character actor.
3: He yeah, is. no, he's a great
2: he's actor. <laughs> great, yeah. I was thinking if you have to get an Australian, then it has to be a Hemsworth, but maybe that's too much.
3: <laughs> Let's get Hugh Jackman in there.
1: What the hell? Oh.
2: <laughs> Yay! Yeah. He's done with Wolverine.
1: <laughs> Greatest Showman 2 is probably not going to happen. So there you go. Now he's Muldoon. I, I don't know. I love Hugh Jackman, and yet I don't love Hugh Jackman. I don't know why. I have this love-hate thing with him. Yeah, but I mean, I could see could see Patrick Wilson somewhat, although he doesn't... I'd Like, in my mind, I was imagining somebody more... I don't know how to say it. Like, just rugged and savage. I feel like Patrick Wilson almost... He has, like... He's pretty he beautiful. Sensitive more often. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's got that youthful boyish quality. Uh, I'm trying to think of a film where I've seen him get super because like even in like Watchmen, you know, yeah. Where he's night owl, he's still like the conflicted character, kind of the wussy guy who's only strong when he puts on the costume, you know. But again, maybe that could be part of his story too, you know, is he isn't a hundred percent like his brother. And maybe he was following in his brother's footsteps, but never was the hunter that Robert was, you know? Yeah. And so now, like, he, this is kind of his, he's getting his revenge, he's doing everything, you know, and he's kind of, it's changing him, and is that a good thing, and all those things. I was trying to think of, you know, because I was I didn't want to be, like, sexist or anything to go with, like, the tropes that you always go with, but I was trying to think... Is there going to be any type of romantic tension between him and Rosario? Oh or yeah, I almost yeah, yeah. You think so? Yeah, okay.
3: <laughs> yeah, def- definitely. Uh, you know, kind of Jurassic Park where it's light. I was thinking like, you know, they kind of just maybe like she lays on him at the end as as they leave the island. You know, just something light.
1: And I like the idea, too, though, that maybe she's always, she's, like, tougher than him, obviously. And so maybe, yeah, by the end, she kind of softens and he's kind of gotten a little stronger, a little more uh, confident in himself or whatever, you know. So there's kind of that journey for them as well. Uh, but what also, did we say what became of uh, of Bob? <laughs> Of Saul. <laughs> oh,
3: oh! He joins them on the island, and he's in one of the uh, vehicles that gets crushed. And so we kind of spend the whole movie thinking he's dead, sort of similar to like how Ian Malcolm's gone for a while. And then, hmm. and then in the end, he comes back. He has like two broken legs. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's like, uh, he he makes a comment. He's like, uh, can we talk about Site C? Is it really to talk Uh, about site C? Yeah.
1: (laughs) Which is Congo, which is where they kept all the killer apes. Okay, got it. (laughs) There it is. We've done it. We've crossed the universes. Oh, that would actually be funny if, Will dude talks about s- spending some time in the Congo and the crazy <laughs> things he's seen there, and he relates it to the Trog, right? He's like, I've seen killer gorillas, you know, I- I've-, I've beaten killer gorillas, you know, something like that. Yeah, but no, I, th- I think that it would have been, yeah, a cool way, like you said, it brings in a little bit of the history of the old films, but yet really gives us something new that we weren't expecting you know because i yeah i didn't see caveman coming (laughs) so i think that's that's a fun twist definitely you know and i will mention here at the end you know there was a script circulating for jurassic park 4 before jurassic world came out and it was pretty crazy uh, there was a lot of stuff in there. And it involved a little bit of what we talked about here. Like the, the thing was, they did send somebody in to find the Barbasol can. So that definitely happened. By the way, Gillette, you missed the boat if you <laughs> just got in on that. It's like M&M's and E.T. If Spielberg wants you to do product placement, you say yes. Yeah. But anyway, so that was like, they get the can, but then... The guy who was sent in to get the can is captured by an evil Swiss-like uh, mastermind who has this castle, and he's been training raptors through hormones to, like, he can control them to be soldiers. And it was just like this really weird, weird story mm.
0: that it, you know. And, and, so it sounds know. like they extrapolated that out to. Uh, Jurassic, Jurassic World. World. Yeah,
2: they really yeah. did. So,
0: so they they took a few
1: pieces here and there, and uh, even in mine, my you know dino human hybrid, there was another script that was out there where they had that going on too. So that that wow. wasn't wholly original for me, but hmm. uh, but yeah, it's it's interesting how. They were really going to take it in a wild direction. And I think they did a good job of just bringing it back down for Jurassic World. I think they did a fine time. But but this one almost feels like we could go back and do like they're doing with Halloween and Terminator 6 and everything else. You know, like they're they're bringing it back. You know, get, get Spielberg back in to direct this. Get him there to say, you know what? Ignore the other films. Jurassic Park and then this movie. You know, and then
0: there we go. Uh, yeah, it. except uh, what those movies did was they took the bad ones and excluded them from continuity. We're essentially saying, <laughs> eh, let's go back to that weird island that is never referenced again in any of the other movies. Let's do that.
1: I mean, but wait, <laughs> Forrest, did you say, was this Isla Nublar or Isla Sorna?
3: Uh Nublar. So
0: so two and three aren't even referenced again. (laughs) Never again. (laughs) Let it go. Let it go. go.
1: go. I mean, they're not talking about it in Jurassic World either. Although, wait. So, Jeremy, this is the time now. This is your forum at the end here. (laughs) Fallen Kingdom. Ian Malcolm is in this movie. Does
0: he Uh, reference The Lost World? (laughs) Like, Uh, he's the opening and ending.
2: It's a cameo. Yeah, it's
0: very much a cameo. And he says his his one famous line, life will find a way. And if you liked Jurassic Park 2, you're going to love when they redo the idea in Fallen Kingdom and do it better.
1: Okay, then. Mm-hmm. I guess that's that's something to look forward to. You know, I actually was in Walmart uh, tonight before the show, and I was looking down the toy aisle like I do at the uh, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom toys. And, you know, they're mostly dinosaurs. But one of the things I thought was so interesting, and it was actually something I didn't like when I saw the trailer for Fallen Kingdom, was, you know, the the rolling tour balls whatever yes. they're called you oh, know yeah, yeah. um they have a toy for that that's remote controlled i oh. guess it probably oh. operates like the bb-8 or something yeah. those that you can it rolls around and a dinosaur can chase it or whatever <laughs> like
2: mm-hmm. but I, I
1: just i when i saw the trailer for fallen kingdom i was just like what is this because like there's a kid again there's you know then we get our two leads
0: back okay but the kid actually has some interesting things yeah going on um all right then yeah are are we going full spoilers here or not i don't think we need to okay I think we're, we're gonna do a
1: sequel chat where we're gonna do the summer just, of sequels yeah we'll just get into pay it attention
0: <laughs> to what happens with the kid and you get to learn a lot well, that's promising. Right?
2: Yeah, I feel like they're trying to expand the universe even more. So I don't know. Yeah. That, so.
1: All right. Well, as we close, let's just go cross the board. What's everybody's favorite dinosaur? When you think dinosaurs, whether from these movies or your own personal research, Judy. <laughs> Forrest, you did a fair amount as well, I could tell. <laughs> Where, who do you go to? Who's king of the dinosaurs in your mind?
0: Well, the T. Rex, obviously.
1: Oh well, one vote for T. Rex. <laughs> um,
2: my favorite has been for a long time, uh, the Parasaurolophus, and it, I believe, is you can see them in is it the second one or the third one? No, I can't remember. Um, but they're the ones. They're a bipedal herbivore, and they have like a long, like a horn going backwards, but it's not. Ah, that back. one, yeah. Mm, and I just think yeah. they're really beautiful and they would be beautiful in real life. So um, so that's been my favorite for a long time.
1: And you would ride it?
2: Oh, no, just you wouldn't. a piggyback ride? No, no. You <laughs> no? They, no that would be that would be a disgrace.
1: <laughs> it's like, do you ride your dog? Okay, <laughs> yeah. fine. How about you, Forrest?
3: You know, for some reason, uh, I've always had a soft spot for the Stegosaurus. And this is just totally off of the cuff right here. I think it dates back to a uh, Fantasia where there's the scene where the, the really evil looking T-Rex kills the stegosaurus. Oh,
1: yeah.
3: And I think I was like, you know, I always like try to root for the underdog. So I was like, Oh man, like, <laughs> I think that's where that comes from. <laughs> Poor steg.
0: Yeah, oh, man.
1: <laughs> you know, traditionally growing up, my favorite dinosaurs were always the the dinosaurs that were underwater you know that could have been the loch ness monster like that that's what always was the most fascinating thing to me but in recent years going back to the underdog thing you're talking about there, the guy I feel like gets no respect, he's the Rodney Dangerfield of the dinosaur world, oh, is the Allosaurus. Yeah. Allosaurus is a smaller T-Rex, so everybody's like, oh, well, we don't want him, we want the big guy. <laughs> and But that's what I was always excited about because uh, at Knott's Berry Farm years ago they had this ride that was called Kingdom of the Dinosaurs and I don't know if anybody remembers this you could google it YouTube find it It's, it, but it was like this scientist you would go in his lab and he'd be like you're going back in time <laughs> 1 million years BC you know and even like send you back there and then you would go through like the ice age you'd go you'd just keep going back farther and farther until you got to the big animatronic dinosaur section and the allosaurus was the main attraction of there because they couldn't fit a full T-Rex in uh-huh. there you know so they had allosaurus and I was like that's my guy I, I like him I like his style you know he's not trying to be too flashy he's not always rushing in to save the day like T-Rex <laughs> is now a superhero in the Jurassic Park world (laughs) you know (laughs) so there's my vote right there there you go Al loving you well Judy Forrest really thank you so much for coming on here and bringing the passion and bringing the fun man I feel like we couldn't have had a better Jurassic Park discussion so
2: oh thanks for having me again
1: yeah thanks guys this is total blast and so until next time
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of Sequel Quest and invite you to join us next week for another discussion about a film that never was. Share your ideas with the Sequel Quest universe by visiting SequelQuestPod.com, following us on Twitter at SQPod, on Facebook by searching Sequel Quest, or sending an email to SequelQuestPod at gmail.com. Let the world know how much you enjoy the show by leaving a review and five-star rating on iTunes iTunes. All films and characters discussed on Sequel Quest are the property of their respective studios and license holders. No copyright infringement is intended.